Hello friends, Patrick McFarland here of the Liberty Bigly podcast coming at you with an episode that is not Liberty related per se. And we have a special guest with us here. It is 1022 on a, today's Wednesday, right? Mm -hmm. A Wednesday night. And I'm in bed, getting ready for bed with my wife, Elise. Hello. Hold on a second. Hello. And we're going to be discussing the new Pet Cemetery movie as our son squawks in the background because he will not close his eyes. So we might have to pause the recording, but you won't notice that on the listener end. So um, so we watched the new Pet Cemetery movie tonight. I was less than impressed because, I'll just premise it, uh, it has John Lithgow in it as... Judd Crandall, and there's a few kind of twists in the movie that depart really from the first Pet Cemetery movie that happened. And while I thought those twists were maybe the best part of the movie that we saw tonight, the entire thing felt completely two-dimensional. It felt like a bunch of disconnected scenes were strung together. There was no reason to care about the characters because they were so like one dimension, not even two dimensional. They were like rudimentary stick figures. It was, it was really hard to stay paying attention to it because you didn't. Um, what word am I searching for? You didn't connect, connect or relate to any of the characters really. Like as you were saying, um, rudimentary is. Yeah, a good word for it. Rudimentary stick figures. Let me, let me preface this whole discussion by saying that we are eminently qualified to be doing like a story slash movie analysis because both of us are English majors, and that's in fact how we met, isn't it? Oh yeah, that is how we met, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, in what do you remember the name of the class? Um, it was Gothic horror fiction, I think. Mm-hmm. At the University of Minnesota so we started out studying I think it was Dracula well we read Dracula and Frankenstein and there were a bunch of other curated short stories that were really good too mm-hmm. so she that's a good book yeah I didn't read a single thing in that class <laughs> I mean except maybe Frankenstein but we're... Frankenstein's always a good read. Yeah. Well, Dracula's good, too. But yeah. I don't know what it was. That, like, I really enjoyed reading, but I never do what I'm assigned when I have classes. Never. Like, as a rule, even if I enjoy what we're doing, I won't. Why? Because I'm a libertarian. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Are you a li- Wait. Are you a libertarian? I thought this wasn't about libertarianism. <laughs> okay, I lured her into this conversation. And I don't like labels. I don't like labels. <laughs> She's a libertarian, folks. So, um <laughs> Okay, so should we I mean, you haven't read the original Pet Cemetery, have you? No, I haven't. And how many times have I told you to? We're getting into like probably a hundred times. Okay, it's I don't know. It's one. It's my favorite. It's one of my favorite Stephen King books. I have a few, 
It's not my number one favorite Stephen King book, but... Your number one favorite is... Oh, gosh. Now I'm blanking. It's a Richard Bachman book, Blaze. It's like a, I don't know, kind of like a crime noir... That was slash that de- was a good read. Depressing book. It was depressing. Yeah, it's super depressing. It's not scary at all. It's like a 1930s crime noir. Oops, I need to turn. Sorry about the vibrate. I have so many notifications on my phone. So, um, I don't know. I think the original Pet Cemetery. It actually is the most terrifying book I've ever read. A lot of people will say that. I mean, it really is pound for pound the scariest book. I don't know if it's the best book that I've ever read in terms of like literary merit, but it's the most terrifying book I've ever read. Like it's kept me up at night and you know how you get after Mm -hmm. like a horror movie where you're afraid to go out into the living room when it's dark. You don't want to close your eyes or turn the light off. Or like in our new house we have, well, it's not new, it's new to us, but... I don't know. Some the shower is glass on the inside. It's really oh, weird yeah. with gold. It's like a it's um the house was built in the late sixties, so it's like a very late sixties, early seventies vibe. And the entire bathroom is like almost all mirrors, which is very disconcerting and also makes you really hate yourself. <laughs> but but the I don't know, the Speaking of, like, scary things, our son sounds like he's possessed by the, ex- <laughs> the demon and the exorcist. He's he's a very loud baby. He does a lot of grunting. Should we bring him over so that he can just sit there and provide us a soundtrack with his I, dulcet tones? I don't know. I'm really just hoping that he's not really being picked up too much by the mic because, yeah. Well, we'll have to torture him with this. Oh, yeah, when you were a baby... We ignored you grunting and recorded a stupid podcast. Well, okay, so, I mean, the bathroom, I think it was redone in the 90s. And so it has, like, gold plating, except it's not gold. It's just gold-colored plating. It'd be cool if it was real gold. That would just be such a waste. Yeah. Well, you're talking to a bunch of libertarians. Didn't Saddam Hussein have, like, a gold toilet or gold, like, fixtures in his bathroom? I had an ex-girlfriend whose brother invaded Iraq, and he had pictures in Saddam's palace with, like, gold bricks and stuff. It was crazy. Shitting gold bricks. (laughs) Okay, so we're detracting from the topic of this podcast. Anyway, it's kind of... The point is that sometimes when you go into the bathroom, it can be kind of scary, like, at night because it's all mirrors. There was a woman. There was an So there was a woman that lived in this house before us, and she was a widow. And when we had first—she just passed away a couple months ago. Bless her soul. I'm doing the yeah, rest in Holy peace. Cross. We, I mean, she was a nice lady by all accounts, but— when we had moved in and were waiting for, because we knew she was in the home, we were waiting for the other shoe to drop and for her to pass away. But and then and her husband, I mean, he died decades ago. But I was when we first moved in, I was waiting for something spooky to happen, maybe, oh. and be like, "Oh no, we bought a haunted house." <laughs> spooky. 
Okay, so we're back. We're joined with another another friend. Another another entity has entered the podcast. We we had to take a break because he was squawking a little too much and he had a big poopy in his diaper, which is just charming for this podcast. So <laughs> he's a really loud eater, but we're going to keep his we're feeding him. He's a really loud eater, but we're going to deal with it and apologies because I've been trying to book Elise for the podcast for a long time <laughs> and she's going along with it. So I'm going to seize this moment. So will you briefly describe the plot of the movie? And you, you saw the first movie, correct? Yes. So why don't you briefly describe the plot of the first movie? Because it's more true to the book. Okay, so we begin with a young doctor, his wife, and their two children. Spoilers. Wait, how is that a spoiler? No, there there will be spoilers. Oh, sorry. I misunderstood. <laughs> the plot is very well known, so shame on you if you haven't heard it already. Okay, so they move from Boston out into, what's the place called? Ludlow. Lud Ludlow. Yeah. Ludlow, I think, um, in Maine, of course, and they are in the site country house that's on this road across from another, this like old man that lives alone, widower, Judd. In the and... book, he's not a widower. Oh, interesting. He has a charming wife. Oh, why would they leave that out? Good. We'll get. I mean, they left it out because the characters are rudimentary stick figures. Oh, I mean, I thought we were describing the first. Well, I'm interjecting. Sorry. Oh, okay. So, anyway, the road has these big semi trucks that just haul down it. Wait, sorry. Even in the first movie, he, she dies in the middle of Thanksgiving. I think. No, I can't remember if in the first movie. He has a wife because in the book he has a wife and she dies in Thanksgiving. And that's part of the reason why Rachel is so upset with death okay. where there's character development. Sorry. The doctor, his name is Lewis Creed <laughs> and the wife's name is Rachel Creed. And their daughter's name is Ellie, Ellie and the son's name is Gage. And if you keep interjecting, it's oh. going to be all over the place. I'm sorry. So he he's a doctor and he starts his job. He tries to save this person's life that was in, in an accident and the guy ends up passing away. And then um the whole really the whole pet cemetery is all about it's supposed to be all about how different people deal with death, I think. Because the main characters have a family pet, which is a cat, and the cat's name is Church after Winston Churchill, and the cat gets hit by one of the cars, or maybe it's one of the trucks on the road that's right, you know, the main road outside their house. And then it's all about, like, how they're supposed to deal with the death of this cat, which is, like, Ellie, the daughter's she's really attached to it um and at that point 
I guess the Judd character and the Lewis character, the doctor, have created, you know, a, a tight bond. And Judd talks to Lewis about this cemetery, this pet cemetery, but it's like, it's not even really the pet cemetery. It's beyond the pet cemetery. Like it's a different, it's like an Indian burial ground or something is kind of what we are to assume. But the ground has gone, I'm interjecting, the ground has gone sour. So it used to be an Indian burial burial ground. You find this out in the book, but the ground has gone sour and they don't use it anymore because, because of the... the Wendigo um... haunts it. Well, so basically they go and bury the cat. The cat comes back to life. It screws with Rachel, who has, like, deep-seated emotional issues because her, um, this is the mother character, her, her sister died when she was a little girl, and Rachel was the only person left there alone in the house. She had, like, this, um, spine condition that was a really long, drawn-out illness, and so Rachel's parents hate Lewis, and that's kind of really left out of this new movie. They don't, they like show the parents at one point, but I thought that that was an interesting part of the first movie that they at least have the relationships between Rachel's parents and Lewis is brought up a bit that they despise him apparently, but they never really say why. Um, well, in the book you find out it's because, um... Lewis was never good enough for Rachel. Mm. Like, like Rachel's dad never thought that Lewis was good enough because when they had first met, Lewis was um, a loser before he went to med school. And so then he went to med school and became all successful and pissed off Rachel's dad. I mean, could never get his blessing kind of thing. Okay. And and I mean, but this is all the detail that is really incredibly lacking in the first movie. Or this, no, this this new movie, the second movie. I would, so another book by Stephen King is The Shining, right? Yeah. And I think about the movie adaptation of The Shining and how so much of that movie is all about like, Jack's character, right? Mm-hmm. And I just feel like you like that's something that he, that King focuses so much on is like this care these characters, mm-hmm. and that they just butchered that in this version. But back to the plot, or do you want to tell some of it? Yeah, well, I mean, so. They bring the cat back to life. The cat's not the same. Rach... It's not... It's kind of evil in both movies, but you were saying that in the book it's not evil. It's not quite as evil. It's more of like a bumbling kind of slow, stupid version of the cat. It's not evil, per se, you know? It's not right. It's just not right. It's just... There's something off about it. So... But Ellie is satisfied with the cat in the original, in the book, and kind of in the original movie. Because they like go off and, you know, bury it in the night and, and it it's, comes back to comes life. Comes back and then, um, okay, so the movie continues on and 
Um, the young boy, Gage, gets hit by the semi-truck on the road and dies. And everybody's like, you know, distraught, obviously. And then the dad, Lewis, is like sort of haunted by the ghost, I guess, of the person that he tried to save. And I guess the person that he tried to save, what was his name? Vic Victor Pascal. Victor Pascal. Um, and since he tried to save him in the hospital, he's trying to like warn him about making this choice so as he's like being haunted he's like under we never really quite get to see in the movies whether or not lewis is fully understanding or even thinking about what the haunting is about they just show it happening like i feel like i feel that it would you know it would behoove the the film Right. To show that Lewis understood. I mean, the problem with any movie adaptation of Stephen King's work is that it's there's so much background information and character development that it's very hard to capture that in a two-hour film. And that's what's happening here. I mean, even as we're talking about it, it's there's all these details about the characters that come to my mind about how they're nuanced. Um, but... So basically in the film, Lewis struggles with this decision of whether or not to bring Gage back to life by burying him in the pet cemetery. And he gets his chance when he sends his wife and daughter off to their parents' house or off to his wife's parents' house, his in-law's house. And while they're gone, um, Judd tries to stop Lewis from burying his son in the pet cemetery because it's been attempted before and has ended disastrously and horrifyingly. Um, is that a word? I think so. Um, so in the old film, Lou in the old film, Lewis and Judd are not together, but Judd stays up late to try and catch Lewis doing it or to stop him from doing it. And, he falls asleep on his porch and Lewis ends up doing it and they wake up the next morning and Gage is a demon creature and kills Judd first and then lures his mother back because his mother ends up coming back because she knows something's wrong. Rachel does. And so she has like a, does she, is she haunted as well? Does she have a vision? Yeah, She's haunted by Pascal too, who ends up reaching out to her because he's like kind of a good spirit, kind of, so he can reach through the void. And in the book and in the first movie, he talks through Ellie. Um, so Ellie knows about it yeah, or tries to bring Rachel back home. So Rachel goes home, Gage kills first Judd and then Rachel and then Lewis at the... No, Rachel... Lewis tries to bring Rachel back, and then Rachel kills Lewis at the end of the first movie. Mm. Now, oh, I'm not going to... You haven't read the book, so I can't talk about the book too much and ruin everything yeah, for you. you it's can't. different. Well, it's a little different. They're all different, it seems like. I mean, the book is different, but similar. 
No, the book is the same as the first movie, pretty much. But so in the second movie, it's not Gage that dies. It's the daughter, Ellie, who dies. And she's the one who comes back from the dead. And there's like several homages to um, the first movie, like the the Achilles tendon heel slicing under the bed. And John Lithgow is a terrible Judd Crandall. He just completely and utterly fails to encapsulate what that character is supposed to be, which is a second father figure for Lewis and an imperfect man, essentially. And it really, I mean, all of the themes from the book are missing from the second movie. There's, or they're just completely underdeveloped. I I will say though, that the Rachel, um, and her sister aspect was visited a little bit more. Um, than the first movie. Yeah. I felt like it was like, there were a lot more scenes of her, um, thinking about it or dealing with it. I think there are, but in the second movie, we're missing the entire element of her parents because her parents and how she was raised was a huge part of Zelda in that whole subplot. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just completely missing. I will say though, that the way that they developed the Zelda thing and they played with it in the second movie was a lot, was very scary there were a few cheap jump scenes, but it was very scary. And it was, they did it differently than the first movie or the book, even because there was this whole thing with a dumbwaiter and her crashing through the top of the dumbwaiter, and that's how she died. But in the book and in the movie, it's like, well, Zelda dying was this huge long process, and she died because she choked on her tongue. And her choking on her tongue was like the culmination of Rachel waiting for so long for Zelda to finally die. Whereas in the movie, it kind of just glossed over the fact that, oh yeah, she was sick for a while, and then she fell down the dumbwaiter this one time, and she died. It just didn't have anything really to do with this long process of Zelda dying. Um, but for real, some the theme of the book... That was kind of missed, too, by the first movie was the secrets that men keep. And that's why Judd says, Lois, the soil of a man's heart is stonier, Lois. <laughs> <laughs> a man plants what he can or tends what he can or grows what he can and tends it or something. But the whole point is, is that men keep secrets from the their wives and that men keep secrets from everyone and the whole thing about in in this the pet cemetery thing is supposed to be a secret between men and that's how it's portrayed in the book too and so it's like well men's secrets catch up with them but the thing about the demons in the book is that they know things about people they know thing they know these secrets they come back and they know these secrets and judd's secret is that he's a good man but he visited whores 
Oh. And like you don't really get that in the fr- in the book, and that's why it's so important to get to know Judd's wife before she dies in the book, because she's the sweet old lady, and you can just tell that they've been married for sixty years and they love each other a lot, and she dies, but then the demon comes back, and the demon knows that he's been with whores, or the I mean the demon being Gage, mm. like. And there's a story of one of the first um, humans they buried in the pet cemetery, and he knew too like that Judge that. was a whore son. That's what they call it, right? Well, the son of a whore, but he would visit whores. <laughs> so, I mean, there's that part of it. But I think Lewis has a secret too. I can't remember what it is. So, and then in the newer movie, Lewis also drugs Judd to distract him so that Lewis can go bury Ellie, his daughter, in the pet cemetery. And that was just very unlike his character, too, because in, in the books, Judd and Lewis are very tight. Like, they... Lewis comes to love Judd like a father figure that Lewis never really had. Um, so all of this is lacking from the second movie. It's just completely not there at all, or it's just really glossed over and the whole movie just feels rushed and hurried and not in a good way. Cause sometimes a frantic pace of a film can be good and feverish, but it really wasn't. I mean, the cinematography was decent. It felt really like a triple a film. Maybe overproduced at times. You know, like a blockbuster triple A film. Um so like it. I mean all I mean all these remakes and reboots that they're doing, triple A wise, I don't know if it's the production value of films that are coming out these days, but they all just feel contrived and put on and like kind of shallow like that so i don't know do you do you have anything else to add um yeah i would say like the cinematography was decent and like what do you feel about john lithgow like you just don't like he was I just didn't even like connect like I wasn't even interested you know in his character yeah yeah when you're like I felt like in the, at least in the first movie you're curious about him and you want to know more about Judd's character and the actor who played Judd in the first movie was tremendous yeah the, I mean a really good actor I don't I can't remember his name he played the judge in uh My Cousin Vinny <laughs> um, but Lewis in the first movie, the actor who played Lewis did a horrible job, like a horrid job. He was a terrible actor, but I don't feel like it ha- I don't feel like Jason Clark was great, but he was better. I think Jason Clark was a better Lewis, but um, the first movie kind of had the air of coming across campy, and that's why I like it better because. Yeah, it had 
lots of blemishes, but at least those blemishes were campy and not just terrible. And um, that lady from Star Trek The Next Generation played Rachel in the first movie. I just don't like her as an actress. And that was... Maybe that's why I hate her in The Next Generation, because she was terrible. I didn't... I didn't... I saw her in The Next Generation first, and I was never fond of her character. Oh, yeah. Well, good thing she dies. Does she come back? No. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I haven't seen... She has to make room for Worf to be the chief security officer. Oh. Hmm. And then that's his position for the rest of the show. Well, then Worf kind of... Does Worf come to have more of a prominent role in the show after she yeah. dies? Because in the, in the first little bit, Worf is kind of glossed over. Yeah, he's not as in the forefront, which he becomes one of like the main characters, and I appreciate that because I think that he's a very interesting, like nuanced character, and he's you know got a really cool backstory. And Klingons are neat. I just think Klingons are cool. I don't know. I still like Data better. Well, yeah. <laughs> we both like Data. So, I don't know. Is there anything else to note? Did I cover everything about... Because we were talking about this before, and I just, I've just i been wanting to get Elise on the podcast for a while. <laughs> I can come on again. She'll grace me with her presence again on the show. Um, let's see. Yeah, so I'm just trying to think of, of anything else from, I don't know, just all in all, let's give it, would you give it a a black, <laughs> we're doing what the actual Anarchy podcast did um, in the beginning, would you give it a red and black rating, which is bad, or a black and yellow rating, which is good? There's that's all my that's all my choices. There's that's just, it. That's it. Well, I guess I'd say bad, a red and black. I guess. Okay. What's your so we between the two of us we always do. Well, lately we've been doing number ratings or or letter ratings like grades. Yeah. We we used to do like eight out of ten or something. You know. Yeah. I would probably give it like a five. Out of ten. Five point five to six. Probably. That's like an F. Yeah. You'd give it an F? Yeah, if that was someone's like paper they wrote about <laughs> Fed Cemetery. <laughs> no, I think maybe that's a little harsh, but honestly when you think about it, um I mean are you are you doing IMDB ratings where like nine point four is the highest ever a movie's ever gotten. No, I just okay, fine. I I don't know. I'm bad at giving things ratings. Oh. See, I usually thought you were good at giving things ratings. I'll what? give it like a five or a four. <laughs> it was I hated it. Because you mentioned that a couple of times. You're like, this movie sucks. I hate this movie. Yeah, I, I made Facebook and Twitter posts about how much it sucks. I mean, I think I hate it most because I really thought that it might do the book justice based on some of the things that I saw. But when I saw that John Lithgow was playing Judd, 
I mean, Judd is one of the greatest characters of all time, I think. Okay, let me walk that back. He's one of the best Stephen King characters of all time, I think. Oh, man, I'm going to jump right back into the analysis quick here. It would have been what I would have liked them to have done. What if Stanley Kubrick was tasked with directing Pet Cemetery? That would be really interesting. Because what he could have done is really tie in the whole Native American theme that he was developing in The Shining and kind of make it his own. Because I appeared on Actual Anarchy Podcast to talk about The Shining maybe a year plus ago. And one thing that Doc Brown, one of the other guests, was talking about was how Kubrick really wanted to highlight this theme of the Native American genocides in The Shining and have that be kind of like a subplot or something in the setting behind the scenes of the Overlook Hotel's history that bled into the film and get it bled into the film because the elevator scene yeah uh -huh. yeah. yeah preps Got it. okay um so it would have been interesting because there's the whole wendigo aspect even though the book really didn't have too much to do with native americans but there in the book there's this native american guy that shows judd the the pet cemetery when he's a boy and his dog spot dies he's this like old native american drunk <laughs> and um i'm laughing because that's pretty racist i mean from stephen king who's like this sjw now mm -hmm. but there's this old native american drunk who shows judd the pet cemetery in the book so there's all that kind of and I don't know what another theme would be is like dealing with death or what your greatest fear is, is losing your children or something. I mean, one is the secrets that men keep and the other one is, I guess, what death is. Somet sometimes dead is better, Lois. That's the best line. I love that. Yeah. Um, not down that road. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, that's Judd from the first movie. That actor is amazing. I don't know his name, but I should. So, I think that pretty much does it for this episode. Um, definitely don't watch Pet Cemetery. I guess you can watch the new one, but just... I think it's worth one watch. Really? I mean, I wouldn't probably watch it again. If you actually like Pet Cemetery, you'll hate it. I mean, if you read the book and liked it, or saw the first movie and liked it for what it was, which was campy, a bad but campy and enjoyable watch, um, then you'll hate this movie. You'll just hate it. And if you hate reboots and remakes, you'll hate this movie too. So, maybe we'll do some more video reviews. I think I've kind of enjoyed this. We'll do it for the podcast, babe. And... We can act. Yeah. It'll be good. We're we're going to go see Midsummer, which is a good movie coming out. And I just saw that. Um, oh, we should review Us. Okay. Uh, um, who's that? Keem Peel. Anything interesting to say about that? 
Yeah, I thought we had a lot of good talks about that one. Okay. We'll have to watch it again. That's Jordan Peele, right? Yeah, Jordan Peele did Us and he did um, Get, Out. Get Out. I almost I said like Them. I feel like he was involved in another movie too. Them is an album by King Diamond, so that's mm-hmm. what I was thinking of. Um, but this movie, Mid- Midsummer, is by the same guy who did Hereditary. And the same director. The same director, and he and did it's the same studio A twenty four that's done like The Witch and it. What's it comes at night? I hope not, because I hated that one. That was the one with like the sickness, right? Yeah, eight. Yeah, they did. I think they did that one. A twenty four is amazing. They've been kicking it out of the park on horror films lately. Um. So that should be good. Jordan, this is the connection, is that Jordan Peele said that this Midsummer film is an instant horror icon. I mean, that's pretty tall praise from someone who I think came out with two very interesting and thought-provoking films. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I liked them more than Get Out, but I... Them was... Yeah, oh, damn. I just like King Diamond so much. Um, Us was a good film, but I don't think it was the master, like the instant huge masterpiece that it was billed as. But it was a really good film. So maybe we'll get to that one. Definitely worth some analysis. But thanks for joining me, my very special guest. Oh, you're welcome. I think this might be one of the first full-length podcast episodes that we've ever done under... Well, we've tried, over the years that you've done this, we've tried to record a few. And we've done some Let's Plays, which are on my YouTube channel, um, the Liberty Weekly YouTube channel, or Liberty Weekly Plays or something like that. Um, but yeah, if you like what we're doing, definitely go check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Liberty Weekly. Join the mailing list at libertyweekly.net forward slash email. If you do Amazon shopping, use our affiliate link at libertyweekly.net forward slash Amazon. It will take you directly to the Amazon site where you can do your shopping at no cost to you. And we will get some bones thrown our way that we will use to buy books or baby supplies. Just kidding. We'll buy books for the show. We'll buy books for the baby. <laughs> baby. The, uh, the Tuttle Twins books. <laughs> Get ready for that, babe. Yeah, she's shaking her head. Okay. Well, thanks for tuning in to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And we'll catch you next time. Peace. <laughs>